Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sarah's Space, and happy, happy new year. Here we are in 2021, and I have to say that I have felt that probably the universal sense of, oh, thank goodness, it's a different year, and it's not 2020 anymore, and things are going to get better and change, and everything's going to be wonderful, and ta-da! Um, of course, anyone that has been abreast of the news of late realizes that life is still riddled with challenges and human beings are still riddled with flaws and there's still a lot to work out. Uh, but I'm going to maintain this positive attitude <laughs> just simply because without maintaining it, I think uh, my personal feelings will overwhelm my entire being and it won't be a very productive place to move forward from. And when I mean, or when I say productive, I don't mean as though I'm supposed to be producing some sort of product of viability for the universe. I just mean productive as in cellular structure, living, breathing, thriving. Uh, today, I had this overwhelming desire to speak to Sarah's space and all of you about uh, what makes an artistic soul feel full. And of course, I imagine one could argue that this is entirely subjective and personal opinion alone. Uh, so I'll share my personal opinion. And I have to say that in the last two months in particular, I have just had moment after moment in which I've thought, oh my goodness, this just fills me up from the top of my very last follicle on my head to the very bottom, bottom piece of my foot, my plantar surface. I have to say that as an artist, I have a path uh, and I've, I've gone on a journey, I guess, to discover this aspect of myself that I feel is maybe a bit unorthodox, uh, perhaps circuitous, perhaps just different. But then again, you know, the older I get, the more I realize everyone has a different path. And it's not fair to, and it's also egocentric for me to say, oh, well, mine's just been so different than everyone else's. Uh, however, what I do want to express is that in in comparing it to the path that I thought I would have or that I aspired to have, as a young 14-year-old, when I set my ferocious drive, motivation, and mind to becoming a ballerina, my actual words in my mind at the time, I have traveled such an incredible road to actually realize, I guess, the initial impetus that made me think I must be a ballerina. At this point, I'd like to give full credit to Norbert Wiesack, the choreographer who unfortunately is deceased, who choreographed a pas de deux on Evelyn Hart and David Peregrine called Belong, which uh, I think it was in 19... I feel like it was 1984. I might be off on that date. I should probably check my dates for accuracy. Uh, but I watched it, and I don't even remember how I was able to see the footage. It was footage from the International Ballet Competition in Varna, Varna Bulgaria. And this pas de deux 
just awoke something in me so desperate with longing to express myself in the exquisite fashion that I saw being expressed before my eyes. If one views it today, I imagine one could could have a edge of cynicism about dating it costume-wise in unitards, feeling that perhaps some of the pas de deux interaction was more, oh, I don't know. You know, really, I just don't think that's fair. G given that we're still producing or reproducing classical ballets that were originally done over 200 years ago, I think being sarcastic or sardonic or cynical about a piece that was done, you know, 50 years ago is, or less than 50 years ago, is not appropriate. So let me just go back to the purity of the initial feeling, and that was that I wanted to dance like her. I wanted to express like her, share like her, and feel like her. I wanted to have vehicles like she had at that moment. I wanted to be partnered like she was being partnered. And that set me on my goal and my dream to become a ballerina. I, of course, have spoken in past episodes and anyone that knows me personally or has worked with me or worked alongside me knows that physically I do not embody what Evelyn Hart embodied as far as the the perception of what a ballerina physique is. I also did not have access to the same sort of uh, elevated, accelerated, and I would say advanced training that she had at a young age. And I mean, the argument could be said that perhaps I couldn't have physically handled it. I know mentally I could have because I wanted it more than life itself and emotionally had a great deal of strength behind me. And although my support from my parents was uh, pragmatic and I would say uh, ferociously fearful on my father's side for the fact that he saw me trying to move into an elitist world that did not accept me on any level and that we did not have the financial means to support or pursue to a level that would give me private tutelage of a variety that might even give me a slight chance of uh, access where my physique did not. Uh, I had the emotional support from my mom that just basically wanted to understand my desire for this dream and on an intrinsic level did because she had those same sort of, I'll call them naive and childlike aspirations in her own being. I had that behind me. I had a ballet teacher who really truly cared for me and my family and my well-being and was also pragmatic about what the climate of the day was as far as acceptance of physical body type, was also pragmatic about what she could offer me with what her tools and accessibility was as well. So I had those advantages that I have to say I'm so grateful for, but I had also, oh, I'm musing about what the exact word is I want to put on it, I just had this impenetrably powerful desire to fulfill something inside myself and I thought that was the vehicle. As I pushed through my 15th and 16th year 
and did achieve more technically and more uh, artistically in, in whatever degree I could. And as I, I started to achieve a modicum of success in the amateur level, in the festivals slash competitions that existed at the time, and in that performance venue, I began to realize that I had such an overpowering uh, fear, and not a fear of a gentle variety. I had genuine stage fright, almost paralyzing stage fright. I would become physically ill, I would have diarrhea, I would want to vomit, I would have my, my limbs feel like leaden frozen weights, I would actually blank out uh, before going on stage, I would be absolutely paralytic with fear that someone would come and speak to me because I knew that the second they did I'd lose the sort of repetitious train of thought that I had cycling over and over in my head that were the steps to my solos. Uh, I I did not feel good <laughs> backstage before going on and that actually never left me even as my career expanded into my 18th year of having a chance to work with professional companies into my 19th year of working independently professionally all over the lower mainland into my 20th year of working professionally in the states with a company into my 21st and so on year of coming back to Canada and continuing in the independent vein I must admit that I would always be grateful if I had a three-night show run because I knew that the first night would be a blur with some incredible high points and some incredibly low points. The second night would generally be mediocre because it would never meet the expectations of the high points of the night before. And then the third night would be hit or miss. And I feel as though partially because of the lack of performance, um, I guess, practice that I got as a youth, uh, we had such limited uh, access to being on stage as compared to today's youth who competes and I will use the word competes because they are almost all competition venues that they're getting the chance to get on stage and perform with uh, at a young age but they're they're on stage I would say an average of 15 to 20 times in a year before their year-end recital I was on twice maybe three times before my year-end recital and when I say twice or three times, I mean that would be the venue and then perhaps I would have, you know, nine opportunities within that venue to get on stage. But because that would be from June until usually March would be the first festival and the second festival would be usually April and then it would be June and then the big break again. It wasn't what I would call consistent. I'm not placing blame. I'm not saying that it's the fault of the system. I'm also really recognizing that that lent itself to probably what was my own inherent inability to uh, override stage fright and get to a place where I could actually soar in that feeling of artistry that feels as though you are sharing on such a deep and profound level that it is... I guess actually only described as a spiritual releasing and awakening. I know that sounds particularly, uh, I guess, almost ostentatious, but I'm actually going to say that because I know that artists worldwide would agree with me. 
You paint a picture, you lose yourself in the moment, you have no idea how long it took you to do it. You step away from your canvas and you actually almost feel tears because it is exactly as your mind saw it. You dance on stage, you walk off, you have no idea how it went. You look around and people are just staring at you in silence because they were so moved by your transcendent movement on stage and your emotion and your expressiveness. You uh, act on a stage or act in a moment of a movie frame you write. I mean, there's, you sing. There's so many different ways of expressing yourself artistically that I feel that I need to give address to them all because I um, have really only been able to sample a few, uh, also to, f to feel inadequacy in, in a few um, visual arts, although I would love to be able to put down on paper what I see in my head. I can't say that it's possible for me. Photographically, I can almost feel some of my images are what I see in my head, but no, they're still mediocre in comparison to so many incredible captures. I see true artistic photographers um, manage to find. Um, singing, oh, I'm not even in the stratosphere. I can say that singing is one of those things that when I hear people sing, I'm usually moved to tears when it is beautiful. And beautiful, of course, again, is in the eye of the beholder. But there are so many different types of singing that move me to tears. And it's not necessarily the song, although that sometimes is incredibly helpful. It's the timbre, it's the emotion behind it, it's the range, it's the crackliness of the voice, it's the rawness, it's the potential, it's the, the I guess, the sheer velocity of, of emotion behind it. So there's, again, it's a wide gamut. Uh, acting, sometimes I have been able to, I guess, transcend my my earthly self and go to another place and step back afterwards and think, oh, I feel like I went somewhere else, but not consistently enough to feel truly confident about it. And then, then we get to dancing. And dancing has never, ever been anything short of exactly what I want it to be in my heart. In my physicality, oh my goodness, it's fallen short about 9 billion trillion times. I actually don't have a count for that. Um, Results-wise, outcome-wise, same thing. I've fallen short way too many times to count. But emotionally, I have to say that the way I have found that artistic fulfillment and, and deep, profound inexplicable pleasure has finally become 100% clear to me that the consistency is in teaching. When I am teaching dancers to find their dancing self, I have to say it is rare that I walk away from an evening, a morning, anything over an hour without some feeling of almost teary, glorious release in my in myself in which I feel as though they found it they felt it 
they saw it for themselves. And I feel as though when I am teaching, I am the artist that I wanted to be when I was performing. And consistently, I feel as though there's something that happens that allows me to see into the dancers that I'm working with and find them a doorway that they can actually discover their true potential. Bored, that sounds incredibly, I feel <laughs> possibly a little arrogant, and I apologize if it does, but I'm just sharing what I feel so wonderful about, because artistry is a ephemeral and fleeting feeling for many, and artistry is also something that gets bandied about as a word, I think in a pretentious and overused way. And I feel as though today's training is so adept at perfecting the skill sets. My goodness, some of the skills, the physical aptitude of the dancers I work with, or have seen, or have watched perform, or all of the above, is so alarmingly above their perhaps chronological age level, or just what it used to be, that I find myself mouth agape often. But does it move me? Not always, and not often. I think that there's a bit of a, a trend of almost over-accessing the physical ability and then making that such a goal and such a, a challenging um, drive and journey that dancers lose sight of what it feels like along the way and what why they're doing this in the first place. And is it always about comparing their capabilities to someone else's capabilities or to this perceived goal? Or is it about feeling those moment by moment little steps of achievement within themselves that allow them that breath where they go, yeah, that was a diff that was a different place today. And, and I felt that aha moment, which is kind of a, again, an esoteric way of saying, there are times where I'll be working with a group of dancers or a singular dancer, and they'll do something that I'm asking them to try. And they have to suspend their disbelief for a moment and they have to trust me because it might be right outside the box of what they believe is the right way to approach what they're doing or maybe what they have been taught to such a degree where they think there is no other way. And then they do it in this different fashion and they suddenly look at me and they get this look that says, oh my goodness. And they felt something that actually felt so pleasurable to themselves that they then doubt that they should be doing it. <laughs> so there we go, back into that weird cyclical um, model or paradigm that the dance world and possibly many other worlds as well. I can only speak to the one that I feel myself have an expert opinion in, and that is that almost overtraining, where one is so physically adept, so incredibly good at mimicry of the emotions that are actually supposed to be organically occurring within ourselves, 
that it's kind of like an emotional manipulation. That's a funny little tongue twister. It's like an emotional manipulation. So, example, I have been in situations in which, and and many of my my current and past students will know that we we share laughter about some genres that actually ask you to show a certain facial expression to show that you are feeling something so that the audience may feel it with you. That's called emotional manipulation. Uh, It happens all the time with subliminal advertising. It happens all the time in movies with certain genre orientation that is specifically designed to make you feel something in a certain scene. Uh, I mean, I guess the easiest example would be a horror movie. The, the music, the lighting, and the way that it's paced is designed to make you feel such suspense that blah, whatever happens is going to make you react with a huge burst of adrenaline and, and great levels of fear and possibly sickness. Ergo, the reason I don't watch horror movies. I actually really have also, always, I guess, eschewed and... Oh, rejected to an alarming degree, the the whole emotional manipulation world, uh, on a, a relationship level, in my relationship with my parents, everything has always been so incredibly authentic and organic, that yes, it's actually much more painful, <laughs> because you know it's real, um, and you feel that it's real, but it's also it's you walk away from it realizing that that's who I really am, that's who that person really is. And that's what was really felt. And I guess one could argue that that might have been part of my struggle with getting on stage. My emotions behind whatever piece I was doing were so real and raw and authentically felt in the moment of who and what I was in that exact moment that I was on edge from beginning to end. If I was working with someone in a pas de deux or a duet, there was such a authenticity to my connection or occasionally, and only luckily for me, very occasionally, lack of a, a, a connection. But whatever was behind that pairing on stage was in every, it was imbued in every movement and in every moment and thereby I guess I felt such an investment that if it went awry and technically the vehicle didn't provide that that um, outlet to express what I wanted to express so clearly, I guess there was such a deep disappointment that I just couldn't walk away from that feeling as though, which, which is, is kind of like a catchphrase that I talk about with my students, oh yeah, I nailed that performance. I I have to say that uh, I felt that rarely, and oftentimes when I felt that in discussion or in feedback with those that I truly trusted to give me uh, completely honest feedback, I would hear, that was very clean, or that was very powerful, or that was very strong. In other words, I didn't touch anybody. And the performances in which I kind of lost myself to such a degree in which I forgot what I was doing and came off stage and just hoped that everything had gone properly, I realized that from the feedback I received afterwards that that would have been the most touching and real and authentic delivery of what 
vehicle I had. So I guess all of that is to say that my particular brand of human sensitivities outlet is best served when working with people that I actually can see. In other words, the audience form that whole paradigm of having people sitting in the dark and and performing across the proscenium and performing across the orchestra pit and out to the darkness, that void, I guess I never could feel confident that I was achieving what I so desperately wanted to achieve. Whereas in the studio space, in the classroom formation, I get such a sense of there's the person there's the dawning of their recognition for their own achievement. There is that reciprocity that makes me feel like I'm sometimes just singing with my body and watching a sort of a weird invisible energy pass between us. And I have to say that the whole mask wearing thing has provided an extra challenge. I've actually had moments where I had one yesterday morning where I was looking at these familiar eyes of a dancer in a professional open class I was teaching, thinking to myself, my goodness, her eyes look familiar, but that's all I could see of her face. Her physicality was that of an incredibly beautiful dancer woman, but I am lucky enough to see a lot of incredibly beautiful dancer humans out there, uh, women, men, humans in general. So I I couldn't differentiate on that level. And it was only until later at night where I saw the name of, of a human that had taken part in that class and realized that was who was attached to the eyes behind the mask. So there's a moment where I feel as though um, I was thwarted in that, in that more intimate connection of a previous knowledge of someone, but still felt satisfied that I was able to achieve a connection with that person just in the room itself. I know that my methods are not for everyone, that many people are so much more comfortable with the more structural, um, I'll actually use the word material acquisition, and I'm not meaning to sound diminishing or demeaning about that in any way. Uh, I just mean that that, that particular approach um, of repetition and tough love and um, get the structure first is just not my way. And I understand that for many that is a comfort zone that they do not want to venture outside and that once they do venture outside, they just feel as though it's messy. And in that messiness, there isn't much comfort and familiarity. And I am 100% Uh, content in the knowledge that that is why there are so many different approaches in the world and that that is why there are so many different humans in the world. There's a place for all of us to find a means to express ourselves and a means to grow in that expression and to find an outlet that serves us and to find a guide and a mentor and a teacher and a coach and oh my goodness, a leader, there's so many different ways of saying it, that a pedagogue that helps us achieve that aspect of personal fulfillment in ourselves. And I am confident in knowing that the direction I am going is 100% right for me. And along my journey, I will find people that it works for. And I, they will come and go 
in my existence and hopefully they will always find a way of expressing themselves in a way that makes them feel like they are pleasing themselves first and pleasing others or communicating with others in a sharing way other a way oh my goodness I can't speak very well rather than a way that is all about is this good enough have I achieved something that satisfies you and the you being that mysterious beast of the unknown public or the person at the front of the room who frankly is going to change as you go through life you will always have someone different that you are working with or working under or I don't even like that expression or working around towards <laughs> um, different prepositions and I feel as though our most important goal would be to find a way of being 100% comfortable in ourselves and what we have to offer and who we are exploring so that when we are in different environments we are just sharing we aren't trying to get approval or please because I feel like that is a definite dead-end route and I'm just so incredibly grateful for having had the opportunity to find the gift and the blessing of this way of communicating with the world and I am also probably going to keep exploring the communication of writing as well because although it is not an immediate, uh, I guess, sense of fulfillment because I can't necessarily see the reader or get the reader's feedback at the moment, I oftentimes will read my, my writing back to myself and if I feel like it speaks to my heart, <laughs> then I feel like I fulfilled what I set out to do. And I guess that is just what I wanted to speak about today. I just, I wanted to give thanks and express gratitude for finding my artist's soul food, the nourishment that spurs me on, and give thanks and gratitude to all of those beings with whom I have had the pleasure of working with and still have the pleasure of working with and have yet to have the pleasure of working with and to say that I love my job <laughs> and I don't think of it as a job I think of it as a path and I am very grateful and I hope that you all find that place in the universe for yourselves and I hope that the coming days and months and years provide for you a sustenance that is deep and profound and works from the inside to the outside and leaves you feeling as satiated as I feel. And I thank you again for joining me in Sarah's space and I look forward to speaking to you again in the near future, which just seems to be right now a mercurial arbitrary date of approximately a month <laughs> from now. But again, no guarantees. Who knows, I might be talkative sooner or later than that. But in the meantime, thank you for listening and stay well. Bye-bye.